Welcome to the American Security Council Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. The mission of the American Security Council is to educate and engage American citizens on national security matters, economic security matters, and the need for moral leadership in the United States of America. Please enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. I'm your host, Joy Botcherbeck. Here with my co-host, Mark Renahan. How are you doing today, Joy? I'm good. How are you, Mark? I'm um, excellent. Good. Today we are going to discuss our senior fellow, Alan Dow's latest article, Japan Leading in the Indo-Pacific, a very timely subject. And you can view all of Alan's articles on our podcast, or and our podcast on our website at www.ascf.us. We appreciate your support to keep this podcast and all of our educational programs alive. So anyway, you can also view all of our podcasts and all of our updates on events we're doing, our avatar program, on our Facebook page, which is Protecting Our Freedoms, www.facebook.com forward slash Protecting Our Freedoms with two S's. We're also on YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, Instagram, all of the regular social media mediums. So without any further ado, welcome back, Alan. It is good to have you here. Thanks for coming out on a Friday. I always enjoy talking with uh, you, Mark, and Joy. Good to be here. Thanks, Alan. Well, I'm going to think that Joy's going to kick it off. She has a couple of questions. We're going to discuss Alan's latest article, which is going to be viewed on our website. We'll have it up there on Monday along with our show. It is about Japan being a new ally of ours in the Trans-Pacific and the importance of that, and it goes into further detail. But, Joy, I think you have a few questions. Yes, Alan, it was a great article, and you went very much into detail. So um, I'm going to talk first about... Um, you said that Japan is now um, one of our key trans-Pacific allies, and my question would be, but Japan doesn't have nuclear weapons, and until recently, if correct me if I'm wrong, they think there was a very small cap on their military spending. Um, so if you could go and expand a little more on what your article was saying about why you believe Japan stepped up their game in the Indo-Pacific. Well, uh, first off, uh, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I hope the readers enjoy the article as much as you guys on the team. But uh, I would say that the starting point is the Japanese are not doing this uh, for any other reason than provocations by two countries, mostly China, but secondarily North Korea. Uh, I don't talk much in the article about North Korea, but that's a, a very serious concern for the Japanese, which is why they invest so much in missile defense. And they're a, a great team member. They've co-developed some of the key missile defense uh, elements with us. They host some key missile defense elements that actually help in our defense, too. Um, so part of it's North Korea, but the bigger part is China. The provocations really are uh, numerous. Uh, the, the airspace violations, a defense uh, ministry a document in Japan that calls them relentless. Um, there are sea space violations uh, that China engages in. Uh, and then I also think, uh, I mean, I, I can get into the numbers of that. It's about 58 airspace incursions a month. Um, there's also uh, China's using a Coast Guard and unmarked fishing vessels to violate sea space. Uh, but there's also the broader matter where the Japanese, maybe because they're uh, closer to the situation, the Japanese citizens and Japanese government certainly recognize just the real threat posed by China's uh pushing outward uh, in a way maybe that the average American doesn't, and maybe even the average American elected policymaker doesn't. Uh, but uh, they notice and they, they see the danger of what could happen if China were to seize Taiwan, 
and, and as China continues to push and, and build these artificially legal islands in the South China Sea, uh, what the impact of that would be on international commerce, the international order in general, on Japan specific and on the United States. Uh, and then you, you mentioned that I had mentioned that Japan's a, a growing ally. Absolutely. But as you know, and Mark, you know, and all the ASDF team knows, uh, Japan's been a treaty ally since the 1950s. Uh, the, now we see Japan really ready to play uh, a much more uh, assertive role, which I think is a very good thing. I noticed, uh, I made this point, I haven't seen other people make it, that if we are in the middle of the beginning of a new Cold War, I'm of the view that we are, we can learn a lot from the first Cold War. It's not a perfect parallel, but the Brits and the island democracy of Britain was, was kind of our, our link, our bridge to, to the key theater in Cold War One, And the Japanese, the island democracy of Japan, I think will be a, a link, a bridge to, to the key theater of, World, of Cold War Two. That makes sense. And I mean, we talk a lot about the South China Sea, and I, I believe I read also that um, China was uh, looking at the islands north of Japan, correct? That's right. I mean, the Japanese, uh, there's a, a whole number of uh, small islands uh, south of the home islands, north of the home islands, and, and uh, even China. Japan has to worry about Russian incursion, too, mm. Russian mm. airplanes. And in fact, there was a moment, I think, two years ago, where Russian and Chinese planes together threatened Japanese and North and South Korean airspace, uh, clearly in a coordinated effort. So, uh, yeah, Japan really is, is, is a frontline state as the Chinese try to probe and test how far they can go and what exactly the, the allies, uh, the democratic allies will do. Alan, I have a quick question. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I obviously believe that the United States has the most powerful military, and as we're talking about, um, you know, the South China Seas and stuff, I know that in my personal opinion, one of the reasons why we are the most powerful military is our carrier fleet, which enables us to, you know, transport our fighter aircraft to targets worldwide. I don't know if you're the right person to ask this question to, but does Japan have any aircraft carriers? I'm, I feel ignorant for not knowing this. I thought they might have no, one. It's a, it's a very good question, and it's not an ignorant question at all. It's a great question, and it's actually uh, a point of great concern for the Chinese, uh, for the PRC, because the Japanese have decided to upconvert to uh, what were used to what used to be called helicopter destroyers. They're going to upconvert, and they're actually done with one already uh, into full-fledged aircraft carriers that can deliver F-35Bs, which are the, the, the new stealth fighters, the, the amphibious uh, kind of, we use it for our Marine Corps version of the uh, F-35. And so, no, it's not a bad question at all. It's, it's really concerning to the Chinese, which is a really good thing. Anything that'll get them distracted or concerned is good. And, and again, it's not because they're trying to be provocative. It's because they're trying to be defensive and deterrent uh, with the given what the Chinese are doing. So yeah, there's two of these coming online, and uh, the Japanese. In fact, uh, one of them is being tested with U.S. Marine Corps F-35s right now uh, as they go through sea trials. Yeah, question. I, I noticed in your article um, it, it stated, "Is it true that?" Because I, mean, I had a little bit of an argument, and I think I, after reading your article, I have to call someone and apologize because. A friend of mine posted about a month ago on Facebook 
Um, it was one of those kind of, I won't get into it. It was a meme that was a little controversial, but it said on it, while America is doing X, Y, Z, the Chinese Navy is now the largest in the world. And I thought mm -hmm. that um, it used to be, and this is how I guess, again, not to use the word ignorant twice, but that our Navy was larger than the next three. But is, And then I noticed in your article that that is no longer true. Is that the case? Is the Chinese Navy now the largest in the world? Yes, uh, according to all measures they are the largest navy in the world which uh you know they're above 350 now we're right around 297 298 the navy puts out a i think a monthly uh uh metric on that and i think we're right around 298 uh, the previous administration's plan was to get to 355 uh i don't doesn't seem to me that we're going to be able to get there the problem i have with that mark even is that uh uh, China's Navy is mostly, uh, naval forces are mostly focused on one theater. Ours, it, it, which is a, is, is the best Navy in the world without question, is spread around the entire world and, and involved in doing any number of missions and carrying out any number of missions around the world. So um, the arithmetic doesn't really add up, even if it's an ambidextrous Navy and, and our Navy ships can do more today than a typical Navy ship could do in the 1980s or 1970s for sure. But, um, which is all the more reason we need partners like uh, Japan, Australia, India, uh, the Brits are, are uh, increasing their role there too and others. And so, uh, that is correct. They have a bigger Navy than the United do, States. Do the, how many, I, again, I hate to keep, I'm asking little kid questions here, but how many aircraft, I think the Chinese only have what, one or two aircraft carriers currently? Uh, yeah, there's debate about that too. I, I believe they have two that are, that are, can go to sea. Uh, we have, technically we have, uh, by law, we're supposed to have 11 that can go to sea, but we don't right now. We have, uh, we have 10 that are able to go to sea right now. Uh, so, uh, and China's aircraft carriers are a different kind of carrier than ours. Ours are truly super carriers. There's really only one country on earth that has the kind of aircraft carriers that we have, but um, uh, which have a, a larger power projecting capabilities and they can deliver more munitions and they have different kinds of, but, but China's developing. And clearly if you, if a nation that develops an aircraft carrier wants to be a power projecting nation, full stop. I mean, that, that's, and that's what China Wants to do. I just read an article uh, uh, in which the U.S. commander of AFRICOM, Africa Command, uh, said that he's very concerned about the Chinese uh, building bases on the western side of Africa, which would give them Atlantic coast uh, naval ports and naval facilities, and that that's a real concern for the United States. And Alan, you um, talked about the incursions into Japan uh, by China, and recently. There's been a lot as well as, I mean, the past year, I guess, or more. But uh, Taiwan has been, mm -hmm. they've really been stepping up their game there as well. At 77, I think, in the last couple of days, they said. Um, my question right. is, so, of course, I guess we all heard about the Chinese threatening Japan with nukes if they um, supported Taiwan. So my question is, how do you believe the U.S. would... Um, respond if China launched a nuclear strike against Japan for coming to Taiwan's aid? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the U.S. would would come to Japan's side I, I, um, and would, I, I would think, would be obliged to respond in kind. That's a, a terrible scenario, but it's, uh, I think that you'd have to respond in kind against Chinese uh, territory in that case with a 
the same kind of weapon. A step back from that question, though, uh, Joy, is the threshold question of what would the United States do in the event of a military assault on Taiwan? Japan is saying very clearly that Taiwan's the front line of democracy. Taiwan's security is is and ta- Taiwan's sovereignty is, is 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 tied up or connected to the sovereignty and security of the rest of the Indo-Pacific and the rest of that part of the Pacific. Uh, they're making very clear they're not pulling any punches. Making very clear that this uh, the maintenance of the free people of Taiwan is essential. And uh, you know I, what is a question given within your question, Joy is. Uh, uh, would Japan do anything on its own if the United States paused or hesitated to come to the aid of Taiwan? That, that's the, the real question. That's a good uh, point. I, yes, that's and uh, they've made very clear, by the way, that uh, if the United States needed assistance in defending Taiwan, Japan would come to the United States they'd be as a treaty ally of the United States, not of Taiwan. Uh, but uh, And of course, I'm sure you guys saw just this week, uh, a, you can't get much stronger signal than U.S. troops and boots on the ground. We we discovered that American Marines and special operators have been in Taiwan for at least 12 months. That was reported the top front page of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and I think that's a very good thing. And, uh, you know, over the last 10 years or so, we've had two administrations, the Trump and the Obama administration, did things like land a, a set of F. 18 there to because they had operational problems or mechanical issues, which was cover cover story, you know, or uh, or port a ship there briefly to to uh, on Taiwan, sending a signal or send high level delegations of cabinet officials there. The Biden administration invited uh, Taiwan's top diplomat to the inauguration, which was another signal. But to have U.S. troops on the ground. I think that's very important training the Taiwanese and, and the and the Chinese probably knew it before it was reported, but I mm. I suspect it was intentionally reported. Um, yes, and, I know uh, you and, and I, I talk about um, Taiwan before and what we would do right. in an event of uh, China attacking them, um, right. but now Japan throwing in this as, uh, that they are definitely going to um, come to Taiwan's aid if China were to attack. That's why I posed the question. I guess they're kind yes, of holding us are right. holding us to that now. <laughs> Right. Well, that's that's the real question, and that's why I, I've said you and I've talked about it before. I've written it for ASCF that uh, we have. I think it's time to end the what's called strategic ambiguity of the Taiwan Relations Act, which governed how we dealt with ta- Taiwan from around '79 until now, and replace it, you know, with with clarity that says this is what we'll do, uh, and makes very clear to Taiwan you should not declare independence, but makes very clear to Beijing that. That under no circumstances should Taiwan uh, be absorbed by the mainland unless it's the will of the Taiwanese people. And uh, uh, which, by the way, is that, that term in of itself for interesting. The Taiwanese people, they don't see themselves as part of mainland China. They see themselves as a distinct and unique polity. Uh, they, uh, you know, no, it's, it's a fiction. You know, Taiwan has never been governed by the People's Republic of China, which is to say it's never been governed by communist China. It's been part of China before, but not part of this China, and they, they have no desire to be part of a authoritarian uh, regime. No, I don't think anybody does no. at, at this <laughs> no, point. No, so. I think that's right. Alan, that's do, do, you, do you see um, the Chinese becoming more and more aggressive in this Taiwan situation? Do you see them escalating yes. it to the next level? 
Well, the first part is, is the answer is in the paper every morning, Mark. And yes, mm-hmm. they are. I mean, as Joy referenced, I think it's uh, well over, she mentioned 77 incursions of Taiwan's ADIZ, Air Defense Identification Zone. Uh, I think it's above that now. Uh, they did some at night, which was a new wrinkle this week, uh, which is a worrisome uh, development. Uh, uh, some people say they're just doing that to voice their displeasure. Some people say they're doing that be- to emphasize their uh, anniversary of PRC's birth. Mm-hmm. Whatever the reason, it's it's highly reckless, and it's uh, it's you know it's it, it, it's belligerent. It's I don't know if it's an act of war, but it's certainly belligerent. Um, and uh, it's uh, but the next part part of your question is you know is is China going to take that next step? I I, Chinese open source materials say that they believe they can take Taiwan around or about 2025 at a fairly low cost. Very difficult to mount an amphibious invasion. Uh, it's very difficult to do under heavy fire, which it would be under. It's, it's very difficult to, to seize a territory or an island or a, or a country that doesn't want you there, as we've learned. Uh, but uh, doesn't mean they wouldn't try. Doesn't mean they couldn't use any number of ways to do it. You know, you've heard the term asymmetric warfare. They, I suspect they would start with cyber attacks. I suspect they would use indigenous cells that are probably already in Taiwan. I suspect that they would use uh, merchant seamen that under the cover of cargo ships uh, uh, that would deliver special forces. Uh, I suspect they would blanket Taiwan's airfields with missile strikes. You know, there's a lot of things they can do very quickly. It would happen before we could get there to help you know so uh, uh, so it, th- that's why it's so important to make a clear message of deterrence don't do this mm-hmm. uh, you can yell all you want you can scream all you want you can try to do x y and z all you want but taiwan is not for the taking it's not going to be absorbed even though that's what you think uh xi jinping that, that's not taiwan's not going the way of hong kong and with japan stepping up now it's even more of a deterrence yeah it's like peace right. strength, it, it, our motto. That's correct. It, it is Reagan. It is, again, the playbook that President Reagan leaves us is still relevant, and it will be as long as there are uh, bad guys with weapons uh, in the world, and that's going to be for a long time. So exactly, the peace through strength doctrine is, is it, but uh, maybe, Mark, just to, since you mentioned that, we need to expand it a bit, um, the definition of it. It's peace through allied strength. It's not just going to be peace through American strength. Uh, we will oh, still see. be at the front, but because of any number of structural issues here, because of our demographics here, it's a different kind of economic situation than it was in 1980 uh, or 1985. Uh, peace through allied strength. Japan's part of that. India's going to be part of that. Australia's part of that. Britain's part of that. Increasingly, we see much of NATO interested in in China's uh, recklessness um, and uh we see, you know, the Philippines reversing course and saying, please, we want the Americans to stay. We see Indonesia wanting help from Japan and the United States. Mm-hmm. We see the Vietnam opening its ports to U.S. aircraft carriers. These are these are big things that are happening. And strange bedfellows are caused by aggressive actions of, of parties like China. And But we're going to have Democratic partners in this effort. And I think we'll have some not so Democratic partners, too, like Vietnam and uh, and and countries that uh, maybe are moving toward that way. But it, Japan is, is going to be key. 
Yeah, so, Alan, you mentioned earlier that you believe that this may be a Cold War II with China. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, our original Cold War op opponents was Russia, uh, USSR. Do you feel that these are, the, uh, are not the same, but are incredibly similar opponents in a Cold War? Is, is the USSR and China, are their governments that radically, or are they just two huge communist countries who we need to outspend, outdefend, out whatever? Well, I think... Uh like like you said and like I referenced, it's uh, it's not a perfect parallel, uh, but the behaviors of these two um, uh, hostile countries are, are similar. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of dissimilarities. You can list some of them right now. We were literally wall literally walled off from each other during Cold War One. The Soviets built walls, and uh, and we fortified defenses to keep uh, each other separate from each other. They created their own in internal economy. Today, China and the United States are very much intertwined uh, economically and a lot of other ways, too. So there's some differences there. Uh, but the behaviors of these two countries, and I think the uh, aims, the goals are, are similar, you know, that they, they don't, neither the Soviet Union accepted or wanted to be a part of the post-World War II international order, and China does not accept or want to uh, be a part of this international order. Xi Jinping says he very clearly wants to create a new, more just uh, global order. Uh, that's his term, you know, and uh, he doesn't want to play by the rules that have been set uh, over the last and developed over the last 70 years or so. Uh, they have very different view of uh, everything from human rights to democratic governance, uh, to governance, I guess you could say. And, uh, and I think uh, they're showing through their actions, the Chinese, the Chinese government, uh, that they they not just have a different vision, but they have they're trying to develop the means to pursue that vision. And that's that's a real that's the problem. It's not that it's big. It's not that it's uh, it's going to be the biggest economy on earth again, which it was once before. It's going to be again. This is you know this is China was the biggest economy on earth in the 1800s. It's going to be again. If it was a free China, that wouldn't be a problem. But if it's a China that is authoritarian and uh, believes in this uh, dominating uh, centralism, uh, it's that, that presents a problem for the, for the free world. Like we discussed but, last time in uh, at the threat to the liberal democratic order. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's, uh, and, you know, I think, Mark, uh, one of the biggest ways that they're similar is you can tell a lot about a government uh, from how it treats its people. Uh, and the, the Soviet government uh, was brutal to its people. The Chinese government is brutal to its people. It's not the old days. It's not ancient history. China today brutally treats its people. And a country that treats its people the way the Chinese, the Chinese regime does, the Communist Chinese Party, and the way the Soviet Union did, uh, is going to break treaties. It's going to... Uh, do things like misuse or abuse or make massive mistakes with uh, things like uh, the study of uh, viruses. It, it's going to rationalize anything to get its ends, uh, to get to its ends. It's going to seize foreign territory. Uh, it, uh, that, that's just what countries that treat their people badly will do. They'll do anything because that, they prove that by how they treat their own people. Yeah, no, I actually recently saw a video online. Um, 
it was a Chinese citizen and they had him in, I don't even know, some type of a torture chair. Mm -hmm. And his crime was um, on Facebook, he was complaining about like the traffic cops at the circle. Yep. So for that, you know, for just complaining on Facebook, he was arrested, put into this torture device and you know, Whenever you hear people, oh, well, the Communist Party of China, I'm like, there's a million videos online you can watch to see what they do. So I would not uh, yep. want to side up with Most them. Most of our country would be in serious trouble yeah, and torture. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to bring up, um, well, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization. We don't like to bring up politics. But one of the things, I've, I'm originally from Boston, Allen, and I was telling the folks here is that um, I guess it was the Chinese independence, some communist holiday the other day. And in Boston, where I'm from, City Hall flew their flag over, you know, the Chinese Communist flag. And I, friends of mine were calling me just like, what is going on that people don't understand the, um, you know, what the communism is about? Like, that. I, I think we need more education mm -hmm. uh, so that... That's, that's horrific, yeah, Mark. That's really terrible. I mean, it's truly unthinkable that that would happen, uh, you know, during the Cold War, though we do know that there were times when uh, radical, usually mayors, uh, not usually governors, but, but did strange things that were pro-communist movements. The, the North Vietnamese come to mind, but uh, it's uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me the 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 ability of uh, people in the Western world, Americans, uh, the free world, to believe everything and anything that's spouted out by a communist regime um, but not use their brains uh, when dealing with their own country. FDR said uh, long before the Cold War, uh, it's great for us to be soft-hearted, but we should not be soft-headed. Uh, and uh, too many Americans are soft-headed. I mean, this is a regime. It's, you know, they, they're, they're ordering involuntary sterilizations of Uyghur Muslims, involuntary abortions, they're bulldozing Christian churches and Buddhist temples. Uh, the, the, it's such a petty uh, and pitiable regime. They literally, because uh, uh, you know Christians, the cross is important. They're replacing the cross in some churches, the ones they don't bulldoze with a picture of Xi Jinping. For Muslims, uh, uh, praying toward Mecca is, is important five times a day. So they put the PRC flag in the area where that person would have to pray towards Mecca in the, in the mosque. Uh, uh, so they do big and little things that are awful uh, and petty. Uh, I mean, they literally have concentration camps. It's not, that's not made up. That's, the, the UN uh, has concluded that's what they've done. They, they put uh, Christians, Muslims into forced labor, uh, making things that sadly are exported to the West. You know, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a brutal regime. And then this whole uh, new, their its ability to fuse technology and the power of the state together is Orwellian. You know, they're basically able to prevent people from traveling, prevent people from getting subway or train tickets, prevent people from their kids from going to college. Uh, you know, all based on some social credit score on what you said on social media or what you uh, said, you, to use your example, if you were angry about a traffic cop or if you dared to say that something was mishandled in Wuhan, uh, which happened, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a terrible, brutal regime and it's, uh, its flags should not fly anywhere in the free world. Well, and another one last thing, and I'm going to give Joy a chance to talk and keep cutting her <laughs> off, but I did notice that you corrected yourself earlier when you said the Chinese people, then you said the government. So I think it is yeah. it, it yeah. is important mm -hmm. to mention to everybody that um, we, we're well aware here that, and as is Alan, I'm sure, that there are many, right. many great Chinese people over there who are just living their lives 
So you have to do what you got to do. Regime. Yeah, it's, it's the, the regime. regime. Yeah. When, when I talk about the Chinese, I'm talking about the regime for sure. Absolutely. That's right. And uh, and uh, that it, it is the regime. And uh, it'd be great if if he would Xi Jinping would allow himself to the people to have a chance to in a free election and fair election. Uh, if they chose him, I that that'd be a different word that I'd use. But they they've not had that chance. Uh, so. And they're never going to have that. No, I was going to say, so. I, I don't think he's going to, there's going to be any election for him anytime well, soon. Well, Alan, we could, nope. we, Mark, we could sit here and probably talk about yes, the communist Chinese regime all day, but let's circle back to Japan. Um, yeah. If I have another question, final, final question for you on that. Um, do you believe that Japan can be uh, an Pacific leader and deter China without having nuclear weapons? Well, I think that's a uh, that's a, that's a million dollar question. Uh, you know, Japan is one of those handful of countries on earth that literally with the flick of a switch could could go nuclear because of its technology technological capabilities, its resources, its wealth, uh, and its uh it's just its capacity and it it doesn't want to do that right now. There are people who are in the Chinese in the Japanese government who have talked about that might be necessary. That some people think is kind of the last card that the Washington has to play, which is uh, to, if the Chinese don't really want, if the Chinese want to really uh, dance and they don't want to rein in North Korea, that the Americans say, okay, the South Koreans and the Japanese, maybe it's time for you to have your own nuclear weapons, which would probably terrify Beijing. Um, but that's a, that's a million dollar question. I, I do think that in, here's what I think, in concert with the United States, which, as Mark said, is the greatest military power on Earth, and India, the largest democracy on Earth, and a, a, a military power of, of growing uh, clout and of deepening connection with the United States. And with Japan, by the way, it was just announced this week that Indian Air Force uh, top-of-the-line warplanes are going to go train in Japan alongside Japan's top-of-the-line warplanes. That's a big deal. Uh, but these two, these three partners, and then Australia, these are part of called a new security formation known as the quad i do think that those four partners geographically placed all share the same values basically all see the same threat uh i think that they can deter china you have help from uh key partners in europe uh, i think that's important too i do think it, they can without japan going down the nuclear path and I, I i don't think the new prime minister his name's kishida I've never heard him talk about that issue. That's kind of uh, the people who've talked about it inside Japan's government are usually low-level, uh, you know, uh, cab not cabinet members, but people who who are a member of the parliament, uh, but not people inside the government, uh, inside the cabinet. But uh, that's the real million-dollar question: is uh, would they have to do that? Um, I can tell you this, Joy: if America continues this path of kind of pulling back and receding from the world. Basically, that could force countries like Japan and South Korea to do that just for their own self-protection, because they may fear that the U.S. nuclear umbrella is not dependable. That's a good point. And yes, I, I would agree with you what you're saying, that the key thing is allies, it sounds like, all over. Um, for us, for Japan, and uh, the Quad, as you mentioned, and India, India does have nuclear weapons, so. Yes, it's a nuclear power, and... Uh, India and China have gone to war before. Just last summer, there was a skirmish that killed uh, dozens, it sounds like, on both sides. Uh, they uh, they distrust the Chinese deeply and understandably, but uh, they're they're 
right on the border with uh, China, literally another frontline state, but deepening ties with the United States uh, that really began under President Bush 43, and they've really accelerated since about 2002, 2003. United States and India really started working together a lot on counterterror issues, and then uh, moved closer and closer, had training operations on the ground in India. President Obama continued that. President Trump deepened it further, and, and I, it's clear now that it's deepening with President Biden. Uh, uh, India's leader was just in Washington with President Biden and the Japanese and Australian leader uh, for the first in-person meeting of the Quad leaders. Uh, so that's and now we hear news that the British might be interested in joining the Quad. Uh, we just heard what two weeks ago that Australia, United States, and Britain formed a new security partnership based on. Uh, technology issues, nuclear submarines and such. Uh, uh, these countries are all doing this, by the way, not to provoke anyone, but in response to constant provocations by, by China. Wow, that's, this has been a good show. Today. Yeah. <laughs> so I have one last thing, and I know we've been going a little bit long today, I wanted to ask you. So we were talking about this earlier. So like, for example, um, Alan, recently we did a Remembering September 11th, 20 years later. And as you yeah. know, the September 11th kind of slogan is never forget. Whatever. Yep. So, do you? We, we were just talking. I mean, there was a point in time when we literally evaporated two Japanese cities. Do you think there is anyone over there that still may hold some grudge over that? Do you have any concerns that there may be, you know, I, I mean, I, I, Joy and I were talking, I, I'll never forgive Al Qaeda for <laughs> September 11th. Doesn't matter how right. many years pass or how many treaties or how much ally they become. Do, do you think that there's any of that over there? Or, I mean, there has to be, right? A little bit. Well, there's, I, I'm sure there are individuals there are people uh, who are of that generation who will never forget there are people who are of the generation after that who can't forget that and people who know history in general who can't forget how that war ended uh, but i do think that's counterbalanced by just the fact that america has been a good friend and that started as you probably know mark and joy really right when MacArthur's troops landed. You know, MacArthur divert, diverted uh, millions of dollars worth of food to prevent, a, to, to not prevent, to deal with a famine that was caused by the end of the war, uh, not by us, but just by the end of the war and the country being a collapsed country. Um, he uh, he ob obviously helped rebuild and wrote a free liberal constitution. Uh, so it starts then, it continues into the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then just they, you think of things like that terrible earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear disaster that happened, the cascading uh, catastrophe, I think, of 2011. And the first country there was the United States, Operation Tomodachi, which means friend. Uh, and the Japanese government, the Japanese people said this is who was there first for us. Those 58,000 American troops weren't pointing their guns at China or North Korea at that point. They put their guns down and started helping the Japanese people dig out from that catastrophe. So I think those memories are counterbalanced by, uh, by those other things that the Americans have done and the fact that America is, is a protector of Japan and helped rebuild Japan and made it, helped it become an economic powerhouse and, and refocus its energies and talents from being uh, from the warlike regime and, and the, the militarist regime of Imperial Japan to to the free country it is today. So I, just in the same way, Mark, that, you know, my grandfather, uh, who was a World War II veteran, both of them were at D-Day, did not fight on that side of the earth. He, he, 
he didn't like that I bought a Honda <laughs> in uh, in my first car was a Honda because it was a Japanese car. Um, but I told him how much I paid for it. He and I told him how good of a car it was, and he says it is better than the Ford I've got. And he laughed about that. I mean, just more dependable. Uh, but I had the same happen. problem with my family. When I, I was going to say, <laughs> Alan, I had the exact same issue with there my you, grandfather from World War II. The yeah. exact same. There you one. go. So I so we can see it from the from the other side of the coin. I think and and generations as those generations uh, uh, emerge, new generations emerge. They they see a different view of the other country, and I I think uh, that's. Uh, I think that I think that happened with Americans as well because we remember how that war began. You know, FDR yeah, exactly. said never. Yeah, FDR said never shall we forget the nature of this attack. Uh, you know, they literally gave us the announcement. You know, of uh, of of ceasing relations and that we were uh, beginning hostilities while the planes were headed back to their carriers. So they'd already done the first raid. I mean, that that's how treacherous the attack was. And I'm uh, 50. I wasn't around in 1941, but I remember that, even though I wasn't there to remember it. So, um, but I do think that you, the, the the vast majority of Japanese people see us as their closest ally. No, and it's strange that, that uh, you know, back in the, the World War II, the Chinese were our ally, the Japanese were our enemy, and That's right. maybe in World War III, it's going to be reversed. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're not going to no, have any World well, War III. Well, think, well, think about it, Mark. That's it happened much quicker than that. Our, we, we, we were with the Soviets throughout those four yeah. years yeah. of the war for us. And, and by 19, certainly by 48, Patton said in 45, I was just a- by 40, <laughs> by 48, it was not, we were, they were our, our, our main enemy and uh, the cold war was on. I was going to, yeah, we are the same age, Alan, because I was about to say, what did Patton say when he was over there? Why don't you, I'm already over here with all my uh, you know tanks. Why don't you let yeah. me take care of these Soviets now? So, <laughs> That's correct. That's right. But uh, cooler heads prevailed. But it's uh, so I do think history and time does have a way of healing wounds, but also actions. I mean, our actions, uh, we uh, the fruit of our words is in our actions with Japan and they for us, too. I mean, they they stood with with us uh, in, you know, uh, they helped us in, in Afghanistan and in Iraq. They weren't attacked on 9-11. The, the Iraqi regime wasn't a threat to them, but. The Japanese helped us in both those places and many others. So, uh, and now here they're they're leading, and I think they're leading the way. And I, I think we should uh, we should get right shoulder to shoulder with them. Absolutely. Yes, yes we agree. Well, Alan, we have kept you on the phone yeah. longer than yes, we, we usually have. do. So I want to thank you very much for all of you watching. You can check out our shows on our Facebook page, which is Protecting Our Freedoms, Instagram, YouTube, Rumble, I Twitter. And our website, of course, www.ascf.us. Joy, I'm going to let you yes, take this Yes, and Alan's um, articles can be found under um, the article section, Alan, or, sorry, Dowd. It's been a long show. <laughs> it has. <laughs> um, but, Alan, we thank you again for coming on today. And next week, Always Mark. Enjoy it. Uh, yes, next week we are beginning our what? Humanitarian Crisis yes. in Cuba uh, broadcast series. I'm not losing it, too. Um, but we are bringing that series next week. Next Wednesday at 3 p.m. will be our first episode, and we will let you know more about that on Monday. Very good. Enjoyed it, as always. All right, yes. Alan. Thanks for being here, and thank, thank you all you. for watching. Talk to you all soon. Have a great week. Please join us the next, next time as we um, bring you the stories on protecting our freedoms.